Hey, hey, good morning, good morning online, good morning online campus, and good morning on campus campus. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are on campus, uh, you see the brilliant bright light of the God Talks. Uh, I should have said, uh, I, I told someone we should have put up open for business or something. It was, it's uh, really bright. And uh, for those of you who are not on campus, we'll, we put up some pictures. I'm sure you'll, you'll see it from time to time, the God Talks. Uh, new signage, you know, we were really wearing this out, and so we've been talking about, uh, we've painted it and repainted it and done all kinds of things. We were talking about doing something different, and this is something different. Those of you who are in the under uh, area over there who used to be in darkness and we couldn't see what you were doing, I can see everything. I can see all the details in your face. <laughs> we're glad you're here today. We're going to be talking about uh, invite and um, asking people to come to church, but also to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the primary focus of it. It's not just getting them to an event, uh, but getting them to think about their own lives. And we're using a text out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. So I want you to find it there online. Find it, 2 Kings uh, chapter um, 5, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. But that whole story, I want you to read. We're just going to touch on some things in that story that relate to us saying, yes, I will share the good news uh, about the good Savior, the good Lord, who does good works that bring us to repentance, right? And so um, we're going to, to go there in just a moment. Uh, how many of you in the room have ever experienced vertigo before? Anybody in this room? Okay, I see one, two, three, four. Five and me too, my hands right up. So yesterday it hit me. This is like the third time in my life I've had that. And I'm still a little bit recovering. I'm a lot better because yesterday I was stumbling all over the place. So if you're watching online and you see me tilt right or left, it's not because I've had too much of the new wine. It is, <laughs> it is because I really don't have all my equilibrium. It's not all lined up. Uh, how many of you have used the exercises online that they show you that help you get back? Anybody done that before? Yeah. Okay, you have, and uh, there is uh, uh, some interesting stuff online, and there's one of them that's uh, almost like a yoga-like exercise you do, and, and it really does help me. So I've, I've done that, uh, and, and it helps me kind of walk a little bit and get around. I'm driving uh, us to church this morning, and Michelle's like, I just thought about it, you shouldn't be driving. <laughs> And I was like, you're in the car with a drunk man. And uh, <laughs> we made it. So we're here. All right. Second Kings chapter five, verse one. You got your place there. How many of you have it on your apps or on your, in your Bible? Okay. Follow along because we will not read this whole uh, story, the whole chapter. We will touch on pieces of it, but I want you to read it. I want you to take it home and, and that's your, your homework. Okay. Here we begin. Now Naaman. Captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but, and read this last line with me, he was a leper. One more time, but he was a leper. Father, we come to you who knows us so well. And this is the story of all of our lives. Every one of us 
is pictured in the story that we're unfolding right now in Scripture. I pray you would help us to see where we are with the condition of our life and that you would help us to understand how we could be the answer for someone else once we make you Lord and leader of our life. And Father, we invite you to do a work among us to encourage us and to, uh, Lord, to, to motivate us to be about your mission based on what you have accomplished in our lives. We are thankful for your goodness and grateful for it. Your forgiveness, your mercy, your salvation. And we never want to take it for granted because this is the story of our life. All of the narrative that people see on the outward. But we are a leper. And we ask God that you would help us to see the divine work that you've done in each of us and be grateful for it. And that gratitude drives us into mission. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. As we step into the scene, we leave the land of Israel, the story, a nation that was intended to be a light to the Gentiles uh, and a nation of priests who would point the way to God. But we step instead into Syria to the north, a heathen pagan nation surrounded in darkness, a place of idolatry and of blindness, spiritual blindness. And in these verses, there is an anticipation for us, if you will, of the gospel that would go out through Israel, through the Messiah that was to come. And along with Jesus and his church, this was the light that was to be carried to all the world and to the Gentile nations. Naaman's healing was and an is an illustration to us of what God would later be doing in the ministry of the Lord Jesus and through his church on a day-by-day basis. When we established a branded name for our church, the legal name was Grace Christian Center, we tied it to the mission that God had given us. And when I came here and was invited by the leadership to candidate here as, uh, for pastor, they went through what God had laid on their heart in terms of the vision of the church. And it aligned with Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus, who gave the mission to his disciples and therefore then to the church, said that he had come. The purpose of his coming, the reason I'm here, he said, is to seek and to save that which is lost. And it, it is only logic that drives the fact that this was the mission not only of Jesus, but of the whole church, because he is established by God as the head of the church, Jesus, the head of the church, and that we are the body. And the body always does what the head says to do. My body in vertigo was doing some weird things. <laughs> always the head is dictating what the body is going to do. And this was the truth of the, the prophecy kind of coming Messiah and Jesus, you know, coming to, to set people free, to liberate them. And this story is a picture of what is coming, what is available, but what is coming. And here then is a classic illustration in this story of God's love, of how he reaches out to people that are in utter darkness and he uses their afflictions to draw them to himself And if they only will respond to his 
pre-salvation work of grace wherein God seeks to bring men to repentance. You read about it all throughout the scripture, but I was thinking this morning in particular about Romans 2 verse 4 where it concludes by saying that the goodness of God brought them to repentance. And it was intended in this story that the goodness of God would be revealed and, and would take place among, uh, in Naaman's life and that others would visually see the goodness of God take place and they would be drawn to a place of repentance. And it's, it's more than interesting as we look at this story to recognize that not only was God trying to work through Israel and doing, uh, you know, revealing the light and, and trying to reveal himself to the nations of the world, but then when Israel turned their backs on God and, and, and decided to, to go after other things, pursue other things, and become uh, more worldly and, and go after the things that were culturally popular and, and other gods that other uh, nations were worshiping, that God used dark nations like Syria to bring them into captivity, to do something to, to bring them back to him, but to also put them in a place where they could reveal the light and that's what this story really is all about. We miss the point of this story had it not been for a young slave girl, we would not have this story. A young Hebrew slave girl, we would not know this story. It would not be recorded in the annals of history in any way. It would be just in the dust and the rubble of, of what was left of an old empire that stood one time as, as the, the empire of the world. We would not really know this story, but it's recorded in the annals of Scripture and of history because of one young Hebrew girl brought into captivity who had a very different story from the story of Naaman, as we will see. This story, in many ways, as I said in the opening, is all of our story. First of all, consider that the Bible says concerning the condition of men and women Actually, the cleansing of the leper is a wonderful illustration for us of the spiritual cleansing that is provided in Jesus alone. And then not only the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we discover that leprosy is one of the clearest pictures, the clearest allegories, if you will, in the Bible contains of the predicament of men and women as sinners. And like the leper, our lives are spoiled. We suffer not from the physical ailment of leprosy, but we suffer from our natures, in our, in our very natures, the leprosy of sin. The leprosy that has spoiled our souls, if you will. The Bible tells us that when God made the world, he put Adam and Eve into the world and in the garden, and it was all good what God created and gave to them. And it was, there was no disappointment there. There was no unhappiness there. There was nothing wrong there. But it wasn't to stay that way. And man and woman decided to disobey God. They chose to go their own way rather than to trust God and to believe in Him. They wanted, if you will, to decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong. And they didn't pay
the outward narrative. And yet there was something terribly wrong that was going on inside of, of Naaman. It was the spoil of the soul that reached a stench that could be smelled by God himself. He was decaying as a result of his sinful nature, as are all of us. When they describe Naaman, there are three points really in particular that we think about when we look at him. We think of his position. He was the captain of the army of the king of Aram, which means that he was a general in the Syrian army, Aram army, and he was second in command of the king. He was a great man of authority and position. He had the ability to get what he wanted, to make things happen. He was a man of, of great position in that time and in that era. The second thing that we notice in reading about him in Scripture is that his popularity and his prestige, this is noted in the words, a great man with his master and highly respected. So he wasn't living by title alone. So many people are what they are because they have a title. I'm the senior manager. I'm the, the, the CEO. I'm, you know, by their title, standing out in front of them. They want to live by that. But here was a man who had the title and all the trappings, but he had more than that. He had the great respect of his master. He was highly respected by those that served around him and under him. And then there is the, the issue of his problem. His problem, all of the narrative about him, all the story about him, all the greatness of him, and yet when people would talk of him quietly and secretly away, they would speak also of his leprosy. It was an obvious problem. It was something that everyone could see. It was a terrible disease that had marked him for death. Scripture says that Assyrians had gone out by companies and had brought away a captive out of the land of Israel. A little girl, a maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was captured, taken away from her home. I've often thought about her family. What would that be like? Her mom and dad at night wondering if she was all right. Praying over her. Asking the God of Israel to prevail in her life. Perhaps this was what it took for that family to bring them back to God. That in that moment, they had been, maybe moments before, they had been living as if there were no cares in the world. And in this moment, when their daughter is taken away captive, they suddenly rediscover their need for God and learn how to pray and to cry out to God. This young girl is taken and she's fortunate in some ways that she was brought into this high home and that she was made um, servant to Naaman's wife. It was a different life than maybe others who were taken into slavery had, and yet it was still slavery. It says in verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet, 
He was talking about Elisha that is in Samaria. For he would recover him of his leprosy. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking of how we would not have this story except it came packaged in a young Hebrew girl. Good news. Good news packaged in a young Hebrew girl. One of the amazing things about this story is how it comes courtesy of a slave girl who had every reason not to talk about a remedy for her captors, to tell them any good news at all, but to keep her head low, to look for opportunity, and maybe one day she would be able to escape and get back to her family. And yet something else was born in her. She was willing to point the way to the most significant being in the universe, Yahweh of Israel, who alone could cure Naaman's disease. When we talked about Naaman, we talked about his position, we talked about his popularity, we talked about his problem. When we look at this young girl, we see that she had no position. She had no particular voice that anyone would listen to. She had no credentials, no resume of any kind to present. She was not popular or famous or had accomplished much or if anything in her life. In fact, we don't even know her name. She also had a terrible, awful problem. She was a slave. She wasn't free to speak her mind, to say what might be on her own heart. She was not at liberty to exercise freedom of speech. She was captive. She needed to say what was acceptable, what was encouraged, what was allowed. She could look beyond her problem, though, because she knew the solution to all problems. She had experienced in her own life suffering. She had a front row seat now to the suffering of Naaman and how it affected the household, how it affected his wife, how it affected his children, how this suffering affected Naaman himself. She watched this horrible disease as it ravaged the life of Naaman, but it also had tentacles that reached out to the whole family. And the question then out of this story that comes for all of us that are here, you who are online and you who are listening, if you know the cure, why would you not share it with those who need it. If you know the cure, why would you not share it with those who need it? And you and I, we know the cure. We know the gospel that transforms and changes lives. The invite cards that are by your seats, there are two that we're encouraging each of you to take. And this week, make a point 
to get them in the hands of someone. The gospel is the great story of the great exchange, isn't it? An exchange that takes place at the cross. Jesus taking the place, taking all of the wrath that was deserved by each one of us for our own sins. You and me, we were the leper before we came to Christ, before we surrendered to him. We were the ones suffering. We were the ones that extended family members were suffering. But you know today, those of you sitting here, those of you who are online, you know those who have an outward narrative that you really like. I like her because she's always smiling. I like her because she's skilled, she's intelligent. I like him because he's kind and generous. I like him because he's a good example of what I think a father should be or, 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 or what, what I think a husband should be like. And yet there is a leprosy on the inside of them. We can have a lifelong relationship with them and tell them the outward things that we like and never introduce them to the cure for the spoil that's going on inside of them. Because as desperate as we were before we came to Christ is where they are right now without him. There is no hope. There is no answer for them. They keep repeating the same things. They keep lying. They keep breaking their word. They keep stealing. They keep cheating. They keep living a life that they don't really want to live. Paul described it in Romans chapter 7. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. There are moments that he says, I examine myself and I look at, at, at the, the tentacles of sin that had, had come into my life and the hopelessness of it. And then Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation yeah. to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What a life change. I was strapped to a body of death, the contagion of that body to kill me. And now I have been released of that and set free in Christ. My condition was irredeemable. Your condition was irredeemable. But the good news is Jesus. And the circumstances that many are going through right now, the difficulties that they're going through, even the church right now, the circumstances that we're facing in our own nation, in our own world, where we're starting to see the beginnings of persecution against the church of Jesus Christ. And we're seeing some that are caught up in this, that are uh, even leaders in the church and don't know what to do. They're trying to reach out to all sides and keep everybody happy instead of staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're lost in the mix. And that leprosy that is all throughout our nation and our world of sin is being revealed like never before. We're being squeezed as a church because he's coming back to get one that is without spot or wrinkle. And everything that is not of him is getting revealed and exposed. It is a, a crucial moment in our world right now where we need to be together. 
and we need to allow God to reveal the ugliness that's inside of any of us, all of us inside of myself, that he might cleanse us from it and set us free and we will not be walking around diseased any longer, but free in him. And the purpose of it is that we might share with others the good news. Not only did Jesus die for me, but he's died for you. Only on the basis of the acceptance of God are we able to share our faith with others. We have a platform for it when we become those surrendered. It begins with our acknowledgement that we are absolutely helpless. We cannot rely on our own righteousness. As Paul stated in Philippians chapter 3, I consider, talking about his own righteousness, them all rubbish now that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own, but having his righteousness in me. We are all desperate and we cannot help ourselves. We need a savior. What is the gospel not? The gospel is not that Adam and Eve, you know, were walking around looking for God. The gospel is God was looking for Adam and Eve. The gospel is God is looking for your friends, your coworkers, your schoolmates. He is on a desperate search to bring them to himself. He loves them and he cares about them. What he needs from you and I is that we will be a testimonial of what God does in our hearts and lives. Pastor, I, I'm, I'm afraid I, I really, I don't know what to even tell people about the Bible. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? You need to be able to say, I can't answer that. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Uh, the, the wisest words I ever learned is, I don't know. <laughs> you got me thinking. I'll look and see if I can find an answer. But what I do know is that the man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. I was blind, but now I see. That's my testimony. It's like, I I don't know, you know, all the answers, but I do know what he's done for me. I do know what he, the fulfillment of living a life with him has done for me. And what I'm inviting you to is just to find out for yourself. Set aside all the great arguments of history and, and come and discover the God who's always been looking for you. Who's been searching you out even into the dark places. He's come. Brought you to the circumstance of your life right now so that you will recognize you don't have all the answers and you will be reaching out and looking. And I'm hoping I can just be an example. God did it for me. He can do it for you. Amen. Thomas Watson puts it this way. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable what he says. He said, our wills are like a garrison holding out against God until the spirit of sweet violence conquers or changes it, making the sinner willing to have Christ upon any terms, to be ruled by him as well as saved by him. Naaman was a leper. His condition was hopeless. All of the wealth in the world... And you can read the story. He wasn't happy about what the prophet said was the cure because he was a man of stature. 
And the prophet told him, you need to go dip seven times in the, in the River Jordan. He's like, that's a dirty river. I want to go to a clean one. And, you know, you should come on yourself. You should come and present yourself. You know, I'm a man of authority and power and position. You should be here. And, uh, you know, should wave your arms around. It should look like, you know, something like a Benny Hinn concert. And everybody should, you know, see, you know, the greatness of what's going on. Prophet wouldn't even go. He just says, you know, just, just obey and do what, what God's told me that you should do. And I got other things I'm going to tend to over here. Just go down there and, and bathe seven times. And, and he was like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And it was one of the servants that came to him and says, you know, if he, if he had asked you to do some grandiose thing, uh, he had asked you to travel down to where he was, bring all the wealth, and uh, he would come out, you know, you know, in all of his the finery, you know, maybe he has gold robes and and he would stand in front of you and say, God has loved you so much that he has brought you to this moment. And, and all the people would applaud and say, oh, Naaman, he's so great. And God loves him and he knows him too. You know, the king knows him and God knows him. And, and you know, he said, if he had asked you to do something great like that, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have done it? So, oh, you know, yeah. Well, he's just asking you to go bathe in the river and be clean. Is that so hard? Is the gospel so hard? He's just asking you to surrender to obedience yeah. to the Lordship of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Is that so difficult? You've surrendered to everything else in the world. You've followed your own path. You have made life hard. You're going against everything in creation, the way that God created the world. You're tripping and stumbling all along the way. There's guilt that you're sleeping with. And, and in your own conscience, there's, there's things that are going on. You're justifying and laying blame on everyone else as to why this is the way it is. Right? And, and it's just simply God just says surrender to the lordship of the one who created the whole universe. Yeah. You included. Is that so hard? And so it says in scripture, verse 14, he Naaman went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. You and I have been called not to cure leprosy, but to share the cure for leprosy. Amen. Yeah. Our job's not even hard, right? You're not supposed to be, um, you know, the one who comes in and, and cures anyone or changes anyone's mind. Your job is just to come in and tell your testimony. I was a leper and God cleansed me and I know he can do it for you too. There's nothing impossible with him. The spoil, the smell of stench that's around the sin it's in the life of, of those that we love and care about, but are outside of fellowship with the Lord. It is at an all-time peak in the nostrils of God right now, and, and uh, even in our world. We can, we can smell it, we can hear it, we can taste it on a day-by-day on a -day basis. And there, there is no end to this. There, there seems to be, you know, you think, well, it's just got as bad as it can get. I was just watching uh, a, a school board meeting uh, in, a, in another city not long ago, and, and they were reading from books that are in the library, just, just books that are available to the students. It's, it was horrible. The depravity. 
I don't know why anyone would ever even write a book like that, but why would they put it in a library? And, and we always think, you know, we, we hear things that are going on, we think, this is as bad as it can get, man. It can't get anywhere. Yes, it can. Yeah, come on. Yes, it can. I remember the prophecy of David Wilkerson, and he used the language that Satan would literally vomit filth on the earth. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. I mean, it's been here to certain measures, you know, all along, all throughout history, right? I mean, history just keeps repeating itself. Everybody thinks they're doing something new. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't get burned because, you know, they, they didn't read the Bible, right? <laughs> that, that, that city was destroyed because there was a depravity that strangers came into the city and that nobody knew, and they went into Sodom's house. Listen to this, all right? Listen. They knocked on the door and went into Sodom's house. They were angels, and they were strangers to the city. And he received them in. It's a custom, Eastern custom. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, you receive them in. You give them, you know, uh, you wash their feet from the dust of the road. You feed them, give them water if they need it. And, and he receives them into his house. The city leaders come banging on the door and saying, send these men out so that we can know them. We can have sex with them. Are you listening to me today? We, we are the tip of the iceberg of what we are about to see in our own nation and around the world. Satan wants to steal and kill and destroy. The sanctity of you know, the, you know, the minds of your children is he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He wants to pervert and destroy and, and bring the world down. We have the cure. We have the cure. One person at a time. One, one lawgiver at a time. One, one board member at a time. We can see their lives changed and their mind changed about how they see the world. So that they can see that God is God of the world. But the enemy is out to destroy it. And it's up to you and I to make a difference. And the cards that you're holding are a piece of that. I want you to pray over them today. I'd like to ask you to stand with me or invite the worship team to come back and hold those cards in your hands because we're going to pray over those cards that God's going to anoint them and use them strategically to bring people to himself. And I, I want to encourage you not to only just pass cards out to leave something on somebody's desk and run away, you know, but, but to also just share a little bit about your story, about the goodness of God in your life and what he has accomplished. And say, this is why I, I really want to share this with you, is God has been so good to me, and, and I really care about you, and I would really like to invite you to come and see what God has in store for you. Heavenly Father, we raise these cards up to you in a manner of speaking, just saying, God, please anoint them for the work that you want to do. There are people that you have placed in our lives, and I believe even this week there's going to be strategic divine appointments, as every week, that you set up for us, and they are encounters that we are to have for your glory with people that you love and care about deeply. Lord, we love them. There are people we love that are around us that don't know you. 
And in all the outward narrative we see, we see, um, Lord, the things that we really like about them. They make us laugh. They're, they're uh, fun to be around. They're, they're just a joy to have in our life. They will pick up extra work for us. They will do things that um, are kind. And we, we really love that outward narrative, but we also know that like us, they, had, they have leprosy. And they need a savior. They, we don't want the end of their story to be the end of, of Naaman's story in, the, in verse 1, but they were a leper. God, we, we want the end of their story to be the end of the story in verse 14, where he was washed and clean, and his skin was like a young child's skin again. A, a new start, a fresh start for them, a new beginning. Born again, changed and transformed. There are so many analogies in what the prophet asked Naaman to do, just like the picture of baptism for all of us, that when we, you know, we're, we're showing in baptism what, what has really happened in our hearts and lives before baptism, that we were buried with you in our sin and resurrected again, we came out a new person, a changed person. I think about the first time that he went down and he came back up, still saw the leprosy. The second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, each time challenging him, Lord, to take one more uh, step towards you. And then the seventh time coming up and being completely clean. Lord, we want our friends, our loved ones, uh, family members. We want them in the fold. We want to be family for eternity. We want to be friends for eternity. We want to reach out to those who don't know you and invite them into a personal relationship with you. God, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do in every heart, in every life, and use these cards for that purpose, that beginning, starting that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.